Well, we've been going through the parables of Jesus um, this summer since Aaron is gone, and uh, we've had many different speakers and preachers uh, come and give us the word, and it's been a great, great time, I think, to hear from, uh, from different people in our own congregation as well as those who are outside. And uh, today uh, we get the awesome opportunity to hear from Bob Yule. Uh, him and his wife come up here every now and then. They're, they come to our church every now and then, and, and they're from Colorado Springs. Um, uh, Bob is the regional uh, regional leader for the Rocky Mountain region of Navigators uh, uh, Church Ministries. And so, uh, you know, the Navigators Ministry, uh, one of their main slogans, one of their mottos is, Be Disciples, Build Disciples. And that's what we, that's our motto, that's our, that's our slogan here at our church, is be disciples that build disciples. And so Bob has helped us, um, um, especially with one uh, main thing, the 2-7 series uh, discipleship program that we've started, that Mark Stelter is teaching right now, and uh, just some awesome tools that he's helped us utilize uh, to be disciples that build disciples. So um, it's awesome privilege to introduce Bob to you all. Thank you, Zay. So many things one has to do to get ready. I remember when we didn't have PowerPoint. I remember when we didn't have to have an iPad up here, but it's okay. It'll uh, it'll probably work. And if it doesn't, uh, there'll still be a sermon and it'll be fine. So... Uh, I'm told, I'm not sure of this, I wasn't there, I'm told Jesus did not have an iPad, uh, and uh, nor did he use electronic sound, nor, yeah, but it's okay, we'll, uh, we, will, uh, we will get it done. Uh, one thing I like about this church is, uh, is we open the sermon with a memory verse, and I don't know if that's something you like about this church or not, but... Uh, Aaron does this. It wasn't my idea. He was doing it uh, when I came here. In fact, two years ago, uh, about this time, we were we were visiting, and um, the verse was Haggai two or Haggai one verse eight, which says, "Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. I will take pleasure in it and be honored," says the Lord. It had to do with priorities. It had to do with the people that had come back to the land and they hadn't yet built the temple that they were supposed to do. And in chapter 1, it says, the time, it's just not time to do that. And, uh, and Haggai said, no, now, now, go up into the hills and bring down timber. I don't know about y'all, but it's, that, that sounds like hard work to me. Going up into the hills and cutting wood and carrying it back down sounds to me like work. And sometimes when you think about Scripture memory, and if you're not already doing it, you say, I would do that, but it sounds like work. And, and yeah, and so, wouldn't be the first time God has asked us to do something. And when uh, Brother Zach says, we're here to, to be disciples and build disciples. How, how, how does that happen? What, what, what makes a disciple and what helps us build disciples? Well, one of the things 
that helps us do that is scripture memory. It's just one of the tools. It's one of the disciplines. And so therefore, I just strongly, strongly recommend you have an opportunity if you're doing you know, nothing else. I, I recommend the 2-7 series that he mentioned. If somebody invites you to participate in that, you'll get another chance to memorize some scripture. But if you're just in here and, and they give you this verse, let's just memorize it. And, and, and keep it memorized. That's the trick. So I just st- strongly recommend. Let me just, the, the three people that I highly respect uh, within the Navigators, the two in their late 80s, one in his late 70s, and they ask them, uh, to what do you attribute your long, you know, Christian service and being able to walk with God and you're still doing it at this late age? To what do you attribute? And they all said, all three, daily time with God, Scripture memory. Daily time with God, Scripture memory. It's just one of the things that godly people do. So I just commend it to you. So we're going to, to memorize uh, right here uh, in this place, uh, Luke 19.10. My text this morning will be from Luke 15, but uh, this is the theme, one of the themes of our sermon this morning, and it's, this is at the tail end of the story of Zacchaeus. So uh, let's memorize it together, and the way we'll do that is we'll say the reference, and then we'll say the verse, and then we'll say the reference again, and we'll do it a few times. So, uh, so here we go. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 1910 to you. Okay, this morning we're going to be in Luke 15, and we're going to do two parables. And the question we want to answer is, what is God like? And, and the second question, which is every bit as important, is so what? How does that impact me? How will I live if I know a little bit more about what God is like. And so we're going to look at the parable, two parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin in Luke 15. And we're going to have to touch on, because it's also in Luke 15, the parable that's known as the parable of the prodigal son. I'm well aware that was preached on here uh, on Father's Day, and a fine job it was, so I won't have to retell that story, but I'm going to have to touch on that story because it's a, it's a big part of what we're doing uh, today. So uh, pray with me, please. Lord, I pray that you just make us attentive to what is here. You've written this uh, word. You've preserved it for us. Jesus, the great storyteller, has told these stories for a reason. And I pray that we would be hearers and doers today. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to get into these, we have to pay attention to who they were told to. That's the, that's the important piece. If we miss who they were told to, then we miss the big message. So, so let's look at these first three verses of Luke 15 and let's get a firm handle on what the point of these stories is. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. So we've got a couple different groups here. First group is the tax collectors and sinners. They didn't like tax collectors back then either. Except they hated them even worse than we do. Because these tax collectors worked for the Roman government and they would collect over what they were supposed to. They had to make a living too. And so they were perceived as traitors. They were perceived as people that took advantage of other people. And they just were just not nice people. And so tax collectors hanging around, Jesus. And then sinners. There's a Greek word for that. And it just means, it's hamartia. And it just means miss the mark. As if you shot an arrow at a target and you missed. And, and what's interesting and what we're going to see here is that, that there was a group of people, the Pharisees and teachers of the law that we'll talk about in a minute, they were criticizing other people for missing the mark while they themselves were missing the mark. And, and, that, and that's, that's a big lesson here. My, my friend Tom and I were playing golf a few weeks ago. Neither one of us are very good. But it, it's nice to play golf in Colorado. The scenery's nice. And, you know, you get to breathe a little fresh air and hit the ball every now and then. And anyway, we both found ourselves about 70 or 80 yards from an elevated green. And between us and the green was a pond. You can see what's coming, can't you? Uh, and so, so Tom, Tom uh, hit first from that position. And he took a mighty swing. And the ball just skipped across the lake. I mean, he hit it so hard and it was skipping so nicely. For a second, I thought it might even skip all the way across, but of course it did not. Balls don't do that. They get to the middle and the golf ball monster reaches up and grabs it and, and it's gone. So then I, I took my swing and I, I hit it and I hit it nicely, but not nice enough. I knew, I knew I didn't hit it hard enough to get to the green but it did go up, and I thought, that ball has a chance at least of getting over the pond. Missed it by that much. Right into the water. The point is, Tom and I were both hamartia. We missed the mark. Now, my shot was a lot prettier than his shot. I mean, it had a chance. At least it went up and... And at least I got some of it. His ball just, you know, went across the lake. It skipped nicely, but, you know. But my shot was prettier. But it didn't matter. It was short. As, as the brother said a minute ago in the communion meditation, only one, you know, you only need one sin to, you know, and then we missed a mark. So, so the, the tax collectors and sinners, people perceived as missing the mark. But the other group here and the, and the group you know, as we're going to see in a minute, to whom the stories are directed, are Pharisees, teachers of the law. Now, Pharisees were the separatists. They believed in separation. See, even in this case, nobody said Jesus was a sinner. They were just mad at Jesus because he didn't separate from sinners. So the sinners didn't separate from sin, and Jesus didn't separate, you know, I mean, how many degrees of separation do you want here? And... And so they're the, they're the separatists. And I grew up in a separatist kind of environment. I understand it well. And, 
Uh, so that was one group. The other group were the teachers of the law. Those are the folks that figured out what you could do and what you couldn't do in order to keep the law. I grew up in one of those environments too. Now, I don't know who I've got here, but, uh, but, but let me ask, how many of you were raised in an environment where you couldn't play with playing cards? Anybody come from that environment? No. They, okay, one. Okay. Yeah, I had a handful in, in the earlier service. Uh, no playing cards. I don't remember the reason, but there was a reason for that. And uh, some historical thing or whatever, you know, playing cards are evil. Now, Parker Brothers had a game called Rook. And uh, it had playing cards in there too, but they weren't the same. They had numbers on them and they didn't have any pictures. And, 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 and the four suits were just colors. And there were 14 of them and not 13 of them per suit. You could play with those. But you couldn't play with regular playing cards. And by the way, if you took a rook deck and took out one of each suit, you'd be back down to 13, right? So you could play any game you want. But anyway, those were the teachers of the law. They, 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 they did those sorts of things and, 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 and told people exactly what they could and couldn't do. And it says they muttered. So one of the translations says they grumbled. And the word is used three times in the book of Luke. Uh, about Jesus. One is when he had dinner at Matthew the tax collector's house, they grumbled. And the other one is in the Zacchaeus story, they grumbled because he went to have dinner with Zacchaeus. And the third one is this one. And in all cases, they're grumbling about what? They're grumbling because Jesus is hanging around sinners. Now, this is an absurd criticism when you think about it. Because if you are a teacher... And you want to teach somebody that doesn't know anything. How are you going to teach them unless you're with them? I used to teach mathematics at Regis University in Colorado Springs. And I shouldn't confess this here on a Sunday morning in church. But, but, but I must tell you, some of the people that I, that I had to hang with during that time we're not practicing mathematicians. <laughs> I actually had to be around non-mathematicians. Can you imagine? See, it's more fun to hang with mathematicians if you're a mathematician. It's more fun to sit around and think deep thoughts and solve problems and you know write theorems and do those kinds of things. But if you want to teach, you've got to be around non-mathematicians well if Jesus wants to reach sinners gotta hang around sinners right a friend of mine said if you want to reach sinners you got to go where they are so this is an absurd criticism and therefore Jesus told them this parable who them the insiders this is a story about insiders and outsiders and the outsiders are the tax collectors and the sinners. And the insiders are the good religious people. And the stories of Luke 15 are directed, directed strictly and only to the insiders. I don't know who I've got here. I'm a, I'm a guest. I, I don't know who you all are. I don't know who among you are insiders to this church and have been in this church or a church like this your whole life. I don't know who just said, gee, I'll go down to 
Christian church at Estes Park. It's called funchurch.com. Who can, who can, I mean, good grief. I ought to check that deal out. And so maybe you're an outsider here. And if so, you're going to hear some good news. This is good news. If you're an insider and you're going to say, great, Bob is going to give them the word and I can just sit back and relax. No. This is for the insiders. We're going to let the outsiders listen in. But, but the word that Jesus gave was for the insiders. So hang in there. Let's see where this goes. So we've got the listeners. We've talked about that. And the lost sheep and the lost coin. I'm going to read those parables, two of them. If you've been around at all, you've heard them. But I want you to, as you listen to these stories or as you follow along with me. I'm, by the way, this is the translation from the back of the room. If you don't have one of these, I love this. The Disciples Handbook. Huh? What's wrong with that? Be disciples, build disciples. Wow. Christian Church of Estes Park. You ought to have one of these. If you don't have one of these, you know, get you one. And uh, the Bible is our, is our handbook for being a disciple. I'm going to ask a question at the end, and that is, what do these stories have in common? Okay? So here we go. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin." In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So help me. What do the stories have in common? Give me one thing. One thing. I'm sorry? Something is lost. Excellent. Okay. One more thing. Somebody's looking for it. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Something else. Okay, when they find it, they throw a party. Sarah's talking about a party. She says, we don't want the picnic to be dull. We want it to be, you know, a party, for goodness sakes, okay? And the lady also said they found it. So they found it. So something's lost. Somebody goes looking. Something's found. And there's a party, right? Those things are kind That wasn't hard, right? Reading the Bible's easy, Okay, read it. See what God says to you. I threw in one more thing. Uh, Something's lost. Somebody cares. Because they care, they go looking. Something's found. There's a party. That's what the two stories have in common. A couple small differences. Uh, The sheep is one of a hundred. Say, wow, why would you go look for... One sheep out of a hundred. If it, if if you had a if you had a car lot, and and you had a hundred cars on there, and somebody stole one of them, you'd care. Okay. So yeah. So one, 
one out of a hundred, and it's lost on the outside. Presumably knew it was lost, but it was lost. The coin, somebody said this could have been a set of coins that a, that a woman had, maybe associated with her marriage, and they come in a set, it'd be like you're losing your wedding ring. And uh, so it's a very important coin, and she goes looking for it, and the coin is lost on the inside. See, the sheep's lost on the outside, coin lost on the inside. So something's lost, someone cares, someone searches, something's found, there's a party. That brings us to the parable that's, I think, erroneously called for centuries now, so I'll lose this battle, but the parable of the prodigal son. The text says, the text says a certain man had two sons. It's not about the young son only. It's about both sons. A certain man had two sons. And I strongly recommend, I, I throw this out to you for a couple of reasons, but there's a book, there's a book called Prodigal God by Tim Keller. See, prodigal, prodigal does not mean someone who goes astray. That's what that's what we think it means because of this parable and the way it's you know, been used over the years. But in its original meaning, the English meaning, uh, prodigal means extravagant or wasteful. Extravagant or wasteful. And so Tim Keller uses that as the title of his book, uh, Prodigal God, because God is extravagant and wasteful in His grace. And that's why he titles it that way. Uh, I, I recommend the book if you read the book, you're going to read stuff that you might hear this morning. I, don't, I can't tell you what I say that comes from this book, what I worked out on my own, or what I heard from somebody else. It all goes together after a while. But this is a good book, and uh, I do recommend it to you. So let's look at this parable for just a second. Younger son is not the only point. He's not. It says a certain man had two sons. And the purpose of the younger son is to set up the older son. That's, that's really, I, I think the older son is the main problem in this story. And he's lost inside the house just like the coin. See, the younger son is lost outside the house like the sheep, but he comes home. And when he comes home, what happens? There's a party. And the older son doesn't go to the party. And so he's, he's lost inside the house. He's lost in spite of his good works. In fact, he is lost because of his good works. It can be argued. Let me stop there for just a minute. Two pastor friends of mine, I'm going to tell two stories here, but one of them, Jim, used to tell this story. I, I think it's a composite story because I think in his years of ministry, this story happened more than once. But, but, but Jim would say something like this. He would say, I'm in the hospital and I'm visiting Mary in the hospital and she's old, she's dying. And I say to Mary, Mary, you know, I love you, Mary, but, you know, you've lived a long life and, and, and you're very sick and it's, you know, we know that, that you're going to die soon. So Mary, when you die... And, and you meet Jesus, on what basis is Jesus going to welcome you into heaven? And Mary says, well, Pastor, Pastor, I have served the church 
best of my ability my whole life. I, I even volunteered for the kitchen ministry. And not just once a month. I mean, I did the kitchen ministry the whole, you know. And, and I taught Sunday school, and I did all these things. And, 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 and Pastor, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've, I've done what I needed to do. And Jim would say to us as he's telling his story, he would say, I have a choice. I can pat Mary on the hand, and I can say, Mary, of course, of course you've, you've, you've done well. He says, or... I can tell her the truth and I can say, Mary, I don't quite know how to tell you this, but you have not done enough. What's your backup plan? You see, Mary is in danger of being lost because of her good works. And I just heard a couple weeks ago, our current pastor, Pastor Dave, told this story. Same scenario. Guy's in the hospital, guy's dying, and, and Dave says to him, would you like to trust Jesus for your salvation and forgiveness of sin? And the guy said, Pastor, I'm a man of integrity. I have not given God the time of day my entire life. I don't think it would be right to call on his name now and slide in the door at the last minute. And Dave said, it wouldn't matter if you had worked for 50 years. That doesn't matter. We all get in the same way. And that guy did trust Christ. And it was a great moment of joy, but also a moment of regret Gee, I should have done that sooner. <laughs> but the guy is not going to be lost because of his good works because he didn't have any. It's Mary that's in danger of being lost because of her good works. You can even be lost because of your great theology. You can be lost on all kinds of things. And, and if you think it's not fair... That, that, that Mary might not get in while this other guy does, then, then, then these stories are for you. Because that's what they're about. The older son, verse 28, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So he was not only angry, he was alienated. And who alienated him? He alienated himself. He's angry and he's alienated. And then in verse 29 it says, he says to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders and you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. All these years, all these years I have never done any, never disobeyed one of your orders. I would call that arrogant, wouldn't you? You think not? You think he never, I mean, never disobeyed an order? Seriously? You know, that's arrogance. And it's amazing how quickly we can flip into anger and alienation and arrogance. June and I were watching a, a, a TV show not, not long ago, and it was a period drama set in 
set in London in the early 60s in a very poor area of town, and, and, and a fellow was, was caught in an immoral act. And what was intriguing was how the neighbors treated not only him, but how they treated his wife. And they started shunning her, and they wouldn't speak to her, and, and they, were, they were in a function, kind of a church community function in, in a room like this, and, and she was supposed to have a part in it. And, and all of a sudden, these, these neighbors, and they said, well, what's she doing in here? After what her husband did, what's she doing in here? Alienation, anger, arrogance. It's, we're so quick to jump to it. And the people that jump to it are the so-called insiders. It's kind of interesting in that, in that church setting then, uh, somebody said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus tell us that we're supposed to love everybody, even sinners? And the pastor who was there said, oh, especially sinners. <laughs> but so quick for us to miss that. So quick to jump to the anger and the arrogance and the alienation that this, that this older brother went to. But see, the good news is, the good news is, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and that includes insiders. That, that came to me as I was studying uh, this time, uh, that, that the reason Jesus told these three stories was to reach the insiders. He already, he already had the outsiders. They were already there. They were already listening to Him. But, he, but, he, but He's saying, oh man, these good insiders, these good religious people, they, they, they're missing it. Actually, they're hamartia. They're missing the mark. And, and, and Jesus came to seek and save all of the lost. I was reading Colossians 1 the other day in my regular reading. And, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. And, and, and when I read that, normally my mind goes to outsiders. But then, in the, since I'm studying Luke 15, I said, wait a minute. Who's more alienated and hostile than those religious insiders? The, the, the people in Luke 15 that were alienated and hostile were not the outsiders, it was the insiders that were, that were hostile. But even those people he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Everybody. Acts 15, very pivotal uh, chapter. It, it, it happens in a time when when they, the Gentiles, are coming into the church. You see, the church started with Jewish people, good religious insiders. And, and all of a sudden, through, you know, through the ministry of Paul, but also through the ministry of others, we start to get some Gentiles in here, people like you and me. And we start coming into the church, and all of a sudden, what are we going to do with them? That was the big question. And... And, and to the Jews, they say, oh, it's very simple. They can come in as long as they're just like us. And whatever just like us means. Whether we have to play with rook cards instead of regular cards or whether we have to dress a certain way or whatever it is. Everybody's got a set of rules. In those days, it happened to be circumcision. Andy Stanley said, that'll kill your new member orientation program. But they had a big discussion about it. 
And Peter finally got up, Apostle Peter. And he said these words. It gets me every time. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. We. See, I always think it's going to save them. It's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that they are saved. We know they need grace. They. They outsiders. They people that don't. We know they need grace. No. Peter says, no. We. We good religious people. We're the ones that need the grace. And it's through grace that we are saved just as the Gentiles are. Very, very critical point. So here's the older son. He's lost because of his good works. He's lost a joy in relationship with the father. Did he ever sit? He said, yeah, I worked every day. But did he ever sit down with his father and say, Dad, what can I do for you? And, and Dad says, you know, what I really like is if you'd go look for your younger brother. And he said, no, I'd really rather go work in the fields. <laughs> said, no, I got guys to work in the fields. I want you to, you know. So he, he missed that. He missed the father's mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And the older son is too busy to do that. So, so don't, miss the, don't miss the mission. Let me just talk about that for a minute. We'll be done. Who can engage in God's mission? Uh, the first two are outsiders. Matthew, the tax collector. When Jesus called Matthew, the first thing that happened is he threw a party. And who came to the party? Tax collectors. So Matthew begins missional activity immediately. Woman at the well. Jesus comes and he sits on a well and this woman comes down. John 4, you can read about it. This woman comes down and, and he engages her in conversation and, and uh, begins to tell her who he is and she believes and she runs into town and does what? Brings back the whole village. A friend of mine said, a friend of mine said, Jesus sent the disciples into town and they came back with lunch. Sent the woman into town and she came back with the whole town. Okay. Missional activity. Right away. And God also uses insiders. There's Saul of Tarsus, the ultimate insider. You can read about that in Galatians 1 or in uh, Philippians 3. He talks about his life as an insider. But, but God used him too. God uses insiders. God uses outsiders. And let me just suggest something very simple uh, in terms of what, Bob, what does it mean to be on mission? And, you know, Zach said, you know, three million people coming here. By the way, I found out that that the we, they in this church is locals versus tourists. I didn't know that. But uh, uh, I found out Estes Park people don't like tourists. I don't know why. That's where the money is. But um, anyway, um, thank you for letting me come. I know I'm a tourist. But uh, uh, Bob, I don't know what to do with, you know, three million people. What am I supposed to do? Let me give you a little... A little uh, game plan here. A friend of mine, a lady that lives in Florida, name is Debbie. Debbie likes to ride her bicycle, and when she uh, spends time discipling other women, uh, she does it on a bike ride. 
So the two of them go out on their bicycles. She calls it discycling. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Debbie's out one day and uh, with Julie, and uh, they're riding along on a bike trail, and they, there's this lady that uh, may be going the other way, and she said, she said, do you all know where a water fountain is? And it uh, turns out the lady was from Canada, and she was overheated because this was Florida, and uh, Debbie carries a backpack that has water in it and stuff. And so Debbie, Debbie engaged this woman in, in conversation, gave her some water. While she's drinking the water, Debbie tells her about the living water. Same conversation Jesus had with the woman in John 4. And uh, I want to tell you that's an ongoing conversation. Even after a year now, they're still talking to each other, seeing each other from time to time. A very simple game plan. And here it is, four steps. One is be there, wherever there is, uh, be there and pay attention. I, I, have a, I have a grandson, over 20, and uh, when he's heard me preach on this, he said, Grandpa, that's stupid. Everybody is where they are. Said, no, they're not. No, they're not. A lot of people are one place and they wish they were somewhere else. And they're not paying attention, you know, where they are. So be there, pay attention, and then... Do what you can. It's very simple. Do what you can. And uh, while you're doing it, if you have a chance, tell the truth. Be there, pay attention, do what you can, tell the truth. That's, that's mission. Jesus did that in John 4. Uh, Jesus did that with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. The, Debbie did that with uh, her friend Julie while she's on the, on the bike ride. And uh, there, is a, there is a book about that. It's called Join the Adventure. Uh, last hour I said written by this guy Bob Ewell and nobody knew that that was me. So I'll, I'll just say I wrote this book, make that clear. Guy came up after and says, who is this guy and how can I, you know. Uh, so let me, uh, anyway, th- this is a good little book. I didn't come here to sell books, but, but I do have a couple of them. And, and if you want to come see me, uh, five bucks. I talk about this, join the adventure. Because the adventure is the, the privilege God gives us to be on mission. And so I talk about be there, pay attention, do what you can, tell the truth. I also talk about daily time with God in this book. So uh, it's a good little book. summarizes some, some stuff. Bless its heart and I'm almost done. What is God like? According to a lot of people, what God wants is that we keep ourselves clean and we keep the church clean for ourselves. That's, that's one view of God. And that's certainly the view that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had in Luke 15, 2. Jesus' view is God wants us to seek the lost. Chuck Smith, who um, is the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, is a classic classic event in their history but uh, Calvary Chapel came along in the early 70s in Southern California and that's the same time that the Jesus movement was coming along and all these hippies were coming to faith in Southern California hippies and beach bums and and so uh, his church had both you know regular professionals and city people and also had a bunch of hippies and uh they had put down some new carpet and some people were, were concerned that the hippies would come in and bare feet and they'd walk on the carpet and get it dirty. 
And Chuck Smith famously said to his board, he said, I will rip that carpet out if it causes us to refuse any one person from coming in. And if you go to a Calvary Chapel today, at least all the ones I've been to, there is, everybody is in there. I have seen people straight in off the street. I've seen people in coats and ties. I've seen everything in between. It's part of their DNA. They had to make a choice. Whether to serve insiders or to open their hands and arms to outsiders. And that's what, that's what Luke 15 is about and that's what Jesus is about. And it's what Christian Church of Estes Park should be and probably is about. So take out your green card. Please. So say please. Take out your green card. A couple things I would suggest. Spend some time in Luke 15. It's easy to read. Uh, I just got there first. Okay, so... I just got there ahead of you, but if you read it, it'll all be there. Uh, Spend some time in it. Ask God what he wants you to do with what's there. Go ahead and memorize uh, and meditate on Luke 19.10. What does that mean, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost? And also, I would encourage you to make Scripture memory part of your regular spiritual disciplines. And if you're here and you're visiting and maybe you're an outsider, maybe you're an insider, join the party. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And also, whether you're an insider or an outsider, join the adventure. Be part of God's mission. And and seriously, I do have a couple books, and I have a couple more in the car. So if if you want a book, I'm glad to to sell you one. And if you don't have $5, I'll I'll give you one. You can owe it to me. But... uh, I'm not trying to make money selling books. Just trying to get the word out. So let me pray for us. Lord, your word is so clear. And it's so easy for us to get off on the wrong things. It's so easy for us to start majoring on rules that go with our particular tradition so easy for us to associate only with people who match some, some set of criteria that only we know what it is. Can't imagine, Lord, how difficult it was for you as a, the, the, the sinless Son of God and you hung around with all kinds of people and they hung around you gladly. You do that a lot better than we do. I pray that we would be a people that are open, that is open to, to the people you put in front of us, the people in our lives, that we would be there, we would pay attention, and we would be on mission wherever we are. Commit this offering to you that we're about to take. I pray that the money that's gathered would help advance the kingdom, but I also pray that we would understand that we can advance the kingdom without this offering, just wherever we are. So I pray for both. Thank you for this church and for the way it's growing. Thank you for the young people, for the babies that are in it. It's a sign of growth. And I pray that you continue to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.